Most I, uh, yeah, well, uh, you got me on the phone today, not the best, uh, you, you know, mic. I, I suppose it's okay, you know. The, uh, what happened is I went to a website with my, I have an iMac Air, which I really like to, to, you know, for writing and researching and, you know, just, you know, it's really light. It's really pretty good, although, <laughs> Not sure what I did, but I went to this site. Um, they had a, uh, it was by Tashin. Tashin makes, um, uh, 
you know, really groovy, you know, uh, I mean, kind of in-crowd stuff. It's probably satanic, but very cool art books. And I had one on Stanley Kubrick, which was when he was a photographer before he became a director, and then the, the pictures that he took for Look magazine. And then they had one on The Shining where they had a, like a box and all kinds of like a little slate and it just, you know, collectible stuff on The Shining. And it just came out, you know, and, and it's they were going to make, um, you know, these are uh, heirlooms, you know. they they These are books that could be, you know, if you die, they could uh, auction them off and uh, pay for your, uh, your grave, you know. Um, <laughs> unless you're into cremation, which uh, I think is, sounds wonderful to me, but um, and not not cheap. It's like fifteen hundred dollars, and they make they're making one thousand of them. Okay, so very limited. So I recognize that as a very very good deal for not for me, but I mean maybe after my life or. You know, give it to somebody, it'll be worth something, you know, for for them. But just something that should be collected, you know. And anyway, so I went there, and, and as I was looking at it, um, you know, it, 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 the site, whatever, was a trap. It was a, uh, some kind of, um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it took out my graphics, and the screen started flickering, and then, and then actually... When I went to the to the uh, website to to get the you know the work you know the, the the remedy, which is to hold the the on off button down until you get the the screen um, options, and just keep holding it down so it doesn't boot up, and then it gives you these options, and then it said you know reload the uh, the operating system, and that should reset the uh, you know the graphics card. So when I did that, it went to complete black screen, so you couldn't do it. So they were anticipate, you know. So now it's all it is is black screen. So I, you know, I have Apple Care. I can take it in, and you know, I just have to find my Apple Care. I don't even know where it is, but I think it's it's in the system as you know registered, and um, they can fix it. You know what I mean? They will fix it, and uh, but but it, it means I have to actually take it somewhere, which is into town, and then have them you know deal with it. So no big deal, but boy, they got me. So. No, to Tashin, uh, you know, I think God is telling me I don't need that book. You know, it's a, I don't need anything. You know what I mean? It's a, we, we, uh, all the books are just a great deal of vanity. So, <laughs> um, lost my appetite for it. But if you're a fan, uh, it just depends how much of a fan you are. You know what I mean? If you're really into it like I was, then, um, uh, you know, really into the filmmaking, um, and Kubrick. I think we all owe, owe Kubrick a debt of gratitude for more than a few things. One, The Shining, which had a lot of symbolism in it from uh, the Apollo 11. And then two, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, 2001, you know, kind of just, Broke the record. No one's ever really even caught up with that technologically, but those backgrounds. And if you compare those to the, uh, to the moonshot, you start seeing similarities. 
And it's really uncanny, you know, this idea that we didn't go to the moon and we can't go to the moon, you know. For those people that are really, uh, you know, you don't really even have to be in a flat earth or round earth or any kind of earth to understand there may be a, the, the moon thing may be a complete hoax across the board, including being, you know, uh, played by uh, Elon Musk. I, uh, I don't put it, nothing surprises me, you know what I mean? So, but yes, I do recognize Kubrick's work in, uh, the moon, the moon, uh, fiasco. I do recognize the fakery. What did they go there and then they added stuff and had Kubrick do it? Or, you know, anyway, so I, I, and I, I do recognize the work of, uh, oh, what is that guy's name? Wider, the guy that did the, uh, documentary. And then another one did a, a documentary called Room 237, which was more footage was used. I, hard to believe they got all that footage cleared. It's just like the ongoing, you know, just on and on and on footage with them doing voiceover. They, they don't even appear in the documentary. So, uh, so it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of evidence that piled up about about that, and then, you know, of course, the 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 one thing that I've that that really you know touched on a lot of things for me is Eyes Wide Shut coming out in 1996, seven ish, you know, and uh, how that really, um, you know, basically took took a matter of fact view of, uh, you know, if you put all the pieces together, you know, you're seeing pedophilia, you're seeing human trafficking, you're seeing human sacrifice, you're seeing, you know, uh, the mask, the porcelain masks. Uh, well, I have a few things to say about this uh, this kind of thing. You're talking about the people that would have been members of the Bohemian Club, although even some of those people wouldn't have gotten in because it's more exclusive than what Kubrick was, was uh, actually showing. He was showing, like, uh, I believe it was New York um, elites, so, yeah, with an upstate New York, you know, chateau or whatever, you know, some little castle. Uh, the Bohemian Club. Well, it's a fascinating topic, the Bohemian Club. And I do believe that in my line, um, William Keith founded it, and I've never said that before on the air, but I'm saying it now because there's a very good possibility that, uh, or that's not just a possibility, it just is a fact, that, uh, who is this William Keith guy? William Keith. Well, he was an immigrant from Scotland, to you know, settling in uh, San Francisco and, and Berkeley in the eighteen uh, hundreds, you know, sort of mid eighteen hundreds, and he he began his life, William Keith, that is, and he was also he was also from royalty in Scotland, and that his maternal uh, grandfather was uh, you know in the Bruce line. And the Bruce goes to, you know, you remember uh, Braveheart, remember the, uh, uh, the, the king, the, uh, the Bruce king uh, was uh, Robert the Bruce, remember? And he was, 
And he was uh, the king of Scotland at the time, played by Angus McFadden, if you recall. Anyway, uh, (laughs) so, so there was that. And he was a, though he wasn't wealthy at first, he was, you know, discovering his painting, he began as an engraver. And he was um, partnered up for a while with the greatest, what he thought was the greatest engraver in, you know, certainly in California at the time. And, uh, and around San Francisco, a guy named Vad Vleck. So he um, partnered with Van Vleck for a few years, and then he gradually, you know, sort of graduated to different forms, and he, he became very attracted uh, to the mountains, to the Sierras, to the high Sierras, to, to, to everything around him, and he actually eventually took to oil painting. And he's a, you know, his uh, works sell. I mean, they're in all the major galleries and, 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 and uh, you know, and state galleries, you know, uh, they're in, uh, and, and also collectible. There's paintings that are for sale for, I don't know, I've, I've seen them at $40,000, the painting and whatnot. But anyway, he became very famous, and his you know, best friend was a guy named John Muir. And these guys sort of discovered. Uh, the, the 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 majesty, the amazing, you know, uh, landscapes of of the Sierras, and so that's what eventually he became famous for that. But he was also famous for another thing, which is downplayed pretty much. But he was uh, founded a couple of things. One was he founded the uh, the Bohemian Club. I know when you start talking about well. My own line is cursed. <laughs> and he, he founded, um, and I, this is really, I mean, I, I guess it's just like a confession. He founded the Bohemian Club and also got the, got the grove going and, and got the rules. And he chose the owl, you know, Moloch. And they called him, you know, it's very interesting. You may look at his history and say, oh, there's a dry, there's a kind of interesting, eccentric guy that's, you know, a, a brilliant painter, a genius, and, you know, he did that. But no, that's not how he was known. He was known as the mystic. He was known as the painting prophet. And his mysticism took him into the occult, spiritualism, all of that. And I'm not surprised that the Bohemian Club was founded and it was for, at the time, poets, uh, journalists, and also the wealthy, the elite. And the elites were part of it from the very beginning because the painters and, you know, and the newspapers and all these people that own the newspapers, uh, you know, were the elites, you know, and the painters had donors and had supporters so they could paint. And, you know, those were elites. Those were the, the rich of the gentry at that time. And uh, so it became, I think they have a rule there that they have to have at least 10%, you know, artists, writers, poets, musicians, you know, because the Grateful Dead were, were inducted into it. Steve Miller Band was inducted, you know, and then recent bands. And, you know, they have, you know, they, they, they very much have... Uh, 
But about 10% have to be artists, you know what I mean? It can be, you know, the other 90% have to be the ultra-wealthy. And I think because Keith realized that uh, you weren't going to get anywhere, you know what I mean, just having a bunch of poor artists. So they distinguish themselves from poor, starving artists to gentrified, you know, successful artists. And then, you know, and, and, and from the newspaper, the San Francisco Chronicle, and all of that, you know, they're not rich, but they're part of that 10%. And then there's that 90% that is. I'm going over this with you because it's very fresh in my mind. I'm a deep digging researcher, you know, when I'm, you know, people that I just don't let something go, you know, digging that, especially because it's my own family line. So, so I'm not surprised. I mean, that's pretty insane. But it doesn't surprise me because for a lot of my life, I just didn't want to look at any of that. I just couldn't believe it was that bad, you know. Oh, it gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> and Keith's uh, studio was in San Francisco. And he lived in Berkeley. And um, I'm not saying he's bad. It's just, you know, it's not the path you're on. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I'm sure he meant well. They all do. You know. The men mean well until they finally hit the wall. Then they, hopefully, they repent. Um, so what eventually, you know, happened is um, he he eventually uh, he had a wife that died, but he 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 had one son. He had an only son named Charles, and he bestowed upon Charles the name Van Vleck in honor of his friend, the engraver Van Vleck. So Charles became Charles Van Vleck Keith. And uh, so the only thing I'm not looking at is, you know, whether this is my grandfather's father, or I believe it is. And there's, you know, if that's true, um, you know, and for, I got to do a little further research or, or get someone to, you know, to do it for me, an expert, because there's a connection there between there's a, if you look in the Wikipedia, there's a line there, like it says Charles Van Vleck, and then it, it has, you know, born on a certain date and then died. And then instead of death, it has a line. Like there's no sure date on death. I found that to be curious. Because my grandfather's father named Charles, because Charles Keith, committed suicide. I know. It gets worse. And that's a heavy thing to do. I mean, if you're here, you are the only son, and your your father's a f- famous painter already. He's already, you know, he is the famous artist of the day because he's got all this organization going on, and you know, obviously, a complete fascination with the occult because the Bohemian Grove got going in the mid eighteen hundreds, right about when it was founded. They would start going to Sonoma, to the woods there in Sonoma, and having the the thing I think now they they allow twenty seven hundred exactly twenty seven hundred men uh, can be members, and most men have to wait fifteen years or twenty years to be to be accepted. And then I remember my grandfather, that was Willard Keith, taking us to the Bohemian Club uh, for lunch the one day he took us to San Francisco. It's almost as if the the Keiths were all up there. And there was others, you know, east, but up there, 
the immigrants and in San Francisco area. And, um, you know, and then eventually, you know, uh, my grandfather came to Los Angeles uh, to, uh, you know, expand the horizons of his company. Anyway, and leaving all the other Keiths, you know, so left. He also painted the same style. You know, he wanted to be a painter. And, um, you know, then he got the bug for, he, he got very disturbed about about money eventually and he decided to just fashion himself into a businessman and get as much as he could and he, he gave the painting up but he certainly wanted us all to see the paintings and the paintings were like copies of William Keith. Same style, same Sierras, same everything, same everything, just identical. And, uh, you know, so here we, you know, and, and then of course all the lying that went on about uh, Charles, about the father, that caused uh, my grandfather to have to quit school and go to work to support his mother because the father committed suicide. I believe it had to do with real estate. And the funny irony about this is, pay attention, kids. The funny thing about this is Van Vleck was also involved in real estate in a subdivision in Virginia, of all places. And um, so it's interesting if... Uh, if that son was involved and got hurt in real estate, and then you know uh, the suicide that happened, there are there were some you know brothers that stay there. So there's other people up there that could either verify or you know look at this genealogy uh, any way they like. Uh, but as far as the rules for the Bohemian Club, you know, it was all set by William Keith and his you know partners at the time. And usually these ideas were hatched in his studio, which was in San Francisco. In the San Francisco fire, he did lose 2,000 paintings. So it says, it's hard to mean to believe that he could paint that fast, but, but that's what, you know, maybe it was 200, it was a misprint, but it said 2,000. And uh, in the fire, but then he also lived on to you know, do a lot more work, and then, you know, those all got taken up by galleries and private collectors. So, so this, uh, so some people say, well, the Bohemian Club was formed first, and then, and then they got into the woods. No, the woods were the thing because Keith's all obsession for William Keith, the painter, his entire obsession was the woods, was the nature, and he got to be known as you know because he would write poems and things about nature, and those are available. Some of those are published and or at least reprinted. You can find them. And, you know, he had a very sort of a, you know, what he was called the mystic and everything. He derived a lot of his ideas from spiritualism, from the occult, and from the woods. But he had to get out to those woods, you know. So it was a time, and they chose, you know, so this was the big sacrifice, the big human sacrifice. No one talked about human sacrifice, but the idea was that, you know, that we have the giant owl, which is Moloch, Right. And and they act like they don't know what that is, but I mean that's all his influence. And then along with that, you had um, you had uh, uh, you know with the cremation of care, which is basically the cremation of your conscience, is what it is, right? And it also has a mock human sacrifice to Molech, and you know, and all the you know the top men of 
you know, the, the world are there, the very, very cream of the cream of the cream. You know, another thing is in their um, rituals, and I don't know when this started, but they all had to wear porcelain masks, you know, sort of like, kind of like eyes wide shut in a way. And the, the mask was an owl face, like a hybrid of a human and an owl. And they also believed the owl meant wisdom. And what was the saying they had from William Shakespeare from A Midsummer's Night Dream? Um, uh, what is it? Tw- not twisting spiders, what do they call them? Twirling spiders, uh, you know, uh, not come here. Whatever, they're, you know, in other words, these spiders not, do not come. Uh, you know, do not bother the Bohemian Grove. In other words, it's a, you know, a, a protective. But that was from a, uh, from Shakespeare, the saying. And uh, so the other thing that and and the, the so the idea of the mystic and the prophet. So at one point, I, I saw an article that called him the prophet. So here's the prophet and the mystic. You might think like a Madame Blavatsky or like, you know, you know what I mean? Like Gurdjieff or something like that when you're saying a mystic in this, in this sense. But I get the feeling a lot of the ideas were formed from books and things that, uh, and, you know, that, that there was uh, spiritualism involved and, um, obviously the Babylonian ritual cremation of care and things like that. And, and, and the, the immediate attraction of the elite of the elites and for so long. So it's the most elite club in the world, but it also has, you know, it's it's the two weeks in the summer in the Sonoma Woods, which is basically synonymous with, you know, these guys basically letting their hair down and, and doing a lot of naughty things. No need to get the cameras out. And, to, you know, I got this guy with a five-year-old in bed or something like that. No need to, no need for that. It's all right there in, every, in the open for everybody. Everybody's got to participate as well, right? And that's how, you know, the, these rituals go. And I, I really have just so much in the dark on it because I, uh, you know, because this in a, in, a, in a, you know, greater way than that, the same rituals go on in our society, satanic rituals to make you a member of the club, whatever club it is. But that, you know, that's also blackmailable, you know what I mean? So that once you're in, you're in for life. That's it. You can't get out. But it gets deeper than that. And then the the other dual thing that I found to be interesting is that this man um, founded the Sierra Club singularly. He hired this lawyer. He had a partner. It was either LeConte or it was Muir, one of those. And they would meet in his uh, office. Not office, mean studio, but it might as well be an office. And um, and then they drew up the papers and everything, and it was to protect the Sierras, protect the mountains, where he became a famous painter by painting these mountains. And he didn't want people, you know, building houses and you know people moving that way. He wanted them to remain pristine. So totally, you know, so he was the founder, really, of the green movement. You know, and well, there are pure intentions, of course, but I mean, there's also a selfish intention. And same thing with the Bohemian Club, that it had to be this exclusive club. Why did there have to be a Bohemian Club? So why did he have to found the, what was the point of this, uh, 
of uh, the Bohemian Grove, for example, which, by the way, got going right away. It wasn't the Bohemian Club and then eventually the Grove after these guys were all dead. No, it was Grove right away. So why was that? You know, I mean, I can tell you from his point of view, it's because his whole obsession with the woods, with Sonoma, with the Sierras, with nature. And so he became this, you know, known as the prophet, the mystic. I can't tell you much more about the mysticism and the structure it took, only to point to Bohemian Grove and, you know, the mask, the porcelain mask, the owl, the, you know, some of the symbolism there, the, the actual rituals and things like that. But I mean, it goes on and there's a, there's, you know, a, probably a pretty good uh, uh, deep dive awaiting into this idea of the prophet. What exactly does that mean? And, but that's what he was referred to as. And um, there was a daughter as well. He had an only daughter by, uh, I believe, that his wife was named Elizabeth Bruce. So he married back into his own line, which was the Bruce line on his mother's side. On, the, on his mother's side, like I say, his, his grandfather, well, anyway, so he's got the Bruce line and, and he married back into that. That's where I believe the kids came from. But uh, it's very interesting how that got going at that particular time. I suppose the church might have referred to him as a complete heretic. You know, but but in the end, money talks, you know. So uh, before his death in 1911... So 1911, he died, but before that, there was plenty of, you know, of uh, interest in the Bohemian Club. And the, you know, and, and I'm not surprised about the Sierra Club. Sierra Club is basically, you know, a pagan organization, right? Anyway, one of his paintings hangs in the Sierra Club, uh, or more than one, in the Sierra Club, uh, as you can imagine, headquarters. And it's right there. And then, then, uh, I saw a picture of uh grandson of uh, John Muir, the great-grandson of of uh, the other guy, LeConte, shaking hands in front of, you know, the, the, the uh, painting by William Keith, because William Keith was really, he was really the founder and the founder of Bohemian Club and Grove and all those shenanigans and, and, and mysticism and uh, uh, occultic prophecy <laughs> And on and on, and the plein air school of painting, which was basically painting in the outdoors. Of which a friend of mine from Beverly Hills became a very famous plein air painter, and I would love to know. Of course, his wife, his wife told him he can't talk to me. I'm persona non grata. It's like, give me, but this is a grown man, you know, and and and. Uh, and and uh, you can look him up. His name is Peter Adams. He's a uh, famous plein air painter. He's the head of the California... He, he would have known William Keith. He would have known in his own studies. Love to talk... Oh, I can't. I'm sorry. The wife disagrees. Oh, I'm not allowed to because the wife has got his big iron fist. Great. So he's this pussy-whipped guy with a lot of skill in painting. But we can't talk because well, she put her foot down. What's she worried about? Then you might really get Jesus. 
He claims to be a Jesus freak. He claims to be a Jesus freak. He claims to be all you know, paintings and you know, prove it. But, you know, cowardice is not something of God. You know, and that kind of thing, um, you know, I can't back you. He's, you know, your persona, you know, socially unacceptable. Yeah, why? Because I dropped out of society? Because I was spit out? Because I was against my will locked up? Because I was taken away? Through no fault of my own? So, therefore, the wife has this, can stop you from talking? I suppose she could force you into... uh Painting anything she wants you to paint. Anyway, so that, but that's the only artist I know that's you know famous that would that would know that history of California like that. Anyway, so much for him. He's an old guy. He's probably got a keel already minute anyway. You know, and that'll be the end of it. So, so don't worry a thing. I think they heard a couple of Zephyr reports, and the wife put her foot down. He was trying to reconnect with me, but it's just, this is so typical. Anyway, it does make sense. Ow! Jeez, man. You can't do that to me. Trish. He, uh, he punctured my lungs, almost. No, but anyway, yeah, I'm not surprised that this is, you know, that this is going on, and then here I am. I'm concerned to be the the wandering prophet, you know, just euphemistically speaking. You know, I'm not I'm not taking that you know that that moniker as anything serious, but people call me that, or the desert prophet, or something along those lines. And um, but you know, my thing is Jesus, you know. So that's 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 the whole thing, you know. It's just that uh, you know the the you know, he took me and he put me on this path, so. And the path that I'm on, uh, potentially, well, I won't say potentially, but have you ever heard of, you know, redeeming the line? My line was cut off with my daughter's suicide. But there is such a thing as redemption of the line. And you, you, you don't, you can't tell that until, until I'm dead, you know, and that, you know, that I made it. But, I would redeem the whole line, including, I mean, in, unless you hate God, you know what I mean? But a lot of these people are ignorant. And probably in the case of, you know, maybe William Keith could paint, but he certainly, he certainly had a flair for the socialites and for the gentry and for the, obviously, the, uh, the, 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 the very, you know, the highest money people, the wealthiest of people, and, you know, therefore the most debauched, Right? There had to be some bacchanal aspect to this mystic painter. And I don't care what people say. They could get mad at me now and, you know, if they hear this and say, oh, how could you say something about our icon, Sir William Keith? He was such a, you know, also you know, with a royal line of Bruce and this and that and the clan Keith and, you know, a proud tradition and, you know, and even your own grandfather and all that. And you're just terrible. But I also have a right to exist. You know, that's the thing. And um, so we never really tied that in. We did a, 
a documentary, you know, they want to do one about about me and this uh, past of satanic ritual abuse and what it what it means to be, you know, separated from society. Really, we let everybody off. Like we didn't blame, and you know, we didn't, you know, castigate any blame on, you know, my parents or my grandparents or anything like that. It wasn't. It wasn't really. It was more. The, the idea of what happened to me that got me to eventually write this screenplay of society. So it's called The Dark Side of Society, which is really a uh, kind of a euphemism metaphor of the dark side of uh, real society because society is just basically a mirror of society, you know, just a pretty good snapshot of it. And, um, you know, uh, I, I know that I don't think that, I'm not sure the director really likes that we did it, but we put him in a good light, you know, and also put my own family in as good a light as could be, considering the fact that, you know, my mother had been involved in human trafficking, you know, trafficking children for sex and stuff like that. So it's kind of hard to say, oh, you're great, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, you're perfect. So there was all that. And then there was a time, I remember, you know, inquiring about criminal activity, um, you know, regarding uh, the mob in L.A. And, and Mickey Cohen and was there a connection to my grandfather as there was claimed on a show that uh, George Putnam was heading up with an author. I've, I forgot his name now. Believe me, I, see, I've been very reluctant to deal with all this. This is just insane. It's, it's just like dealing with, like, Bill Clinton or something. You know, I've been reluctant to, to even get into this stuff. But, you know, um, and, 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 and then, you know, and, and she just howled and laughed and goes, oh, well, I guess there's no Santa Claus. You know, time to grow up. Okay, so Mickey called one day, to, you know, so Mickey didn't like him because he, he wanted to meet him at, at, at like Perino's, you, you know, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when no one would see them. That, you know, because one thing about him about Willard, my grandfather, is he, he did not want anyone hurting his reputation. It was all about his perfect reputation. And this is so crazy to me because just to be in that line of people that was, you know, that was, you know, running L.A., you know what I mean, the studios, Hollywood, the politicians, you know, the, the, you know, the power brokers, the powers that be, right? You can't, there's no way you can be squeaky clean to be at that. So what was the deal there? You know, and, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, so, so the idea was to, you know, be, be, be like, I guess, some sort of snob, like, like you're above everybody else, but you're, you're a hypocrite, you know what I mean? Because there's no way to be involved in that and not get your hands dirty. It's impossible because you at least have to be blackmailable or you couldn't get to first base. So, you know, and so what gets, so we, everybody's looking the other way. Nobody wants to deal with anything. Nobody wants to ever deal with any of that stuff, right? All this is sin, though. This is like a cursed family line that keeps let me completely cursed, but not from grandpa. This goes back to William and maybe go back to Scotland. I mean, who knows how long this curse has been going on. But I mean, you know, William was worse than Willard, you know. <laughs> and then he named his first son, 
you know, uh, you know, Bill, so it was like, you know, William, uh, even though it was Willard Jr., but it was like Bill Keith, so it was, you know, so it was like a, uh, you know, like a William, I think in honor of uh, William, and then of course have the paintings and the, uh, you know, and I know that there were some, there's a couple of paintings that were given to the museum up there, which uh, they obscured the name. They just said, from Mrs. Keith. And I wonder, you know, about that. You know, why would there suddenly be someone with no name, no address, no nothing, just Mrs. Keith, you know, in the research. And, and it's it's disturbing the more I look into it, you know, and I don't want to look into it anymore, but I I've, I feel kind of obsessed with it at this point. You know, I mean, you know, this founding of Bohemian Grove thing and this this is pretty heavy stuff. I mean, back when I saw Alex Jones's movie about Bohemian Grove, I didn't think there was a, you know what I mean? I didn't connect myself to it in any way. In fact, when we left L.A., I just wanted to be free of it all. You know, I just this heavy burden, I don't know what it was. It's like a, a heavy blanket tried to snuff me out, tried to kill me, plus people that were, you know, objecting to what I was doing and, you know, being hunted is not fun. And I don't know if you've, if you've been through any of that, but, you know, they're, you know, they're hunting you. <laughs> I'm like, what gives them the right to do that? Who the fuck are these people? How many are they? And the answer is, they're everywhere. They're everywhere, man. Uh... I don't know when the no, I don't know when the documentary will come out. I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm I'm not the producer of it, so I I don't know. You know, they're they're, it's completed. I know that. I think it's gone through, the legal process of getting because you have to clear so much stuff with legal. A lot of the really cool, you know, biting kind of gossipy, you know, stuff that you like you said YouTube and they would never allow that in there because you could be, you know, that that definitely could be. They, the lawyers clear it for a libel suit, so, so you don't get, you know, to the best of their opinion, you're not, you know, you're, 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 you know, staying within fair use and doing the right thing, you know. But I mean, I've gotten, well, you'll see it, you know, and, uh, you know, it's almost like the Lord was putting me there in this documentary to, to speak truth to power, if you know what I mean. Because the line I'm connected to is, you know, the most powerful. So, right? I mean, even more, it's, you know, it's like the eyes wide shut clan. It's, it's bad. It's, 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 the, it's, it's, it's the ultimate 2,700, you know, men of any given time, you know, in the world. You know, who would wait 15 years. Check this out. To be a member of Bohemian Club, it's 15 years. And, and also to be recommended by you know, everybody else involved. Usually groups like that will do charities in order to make themselves look better. Anyway, he was, you know, my grandfather's very hush-hush about it, but he kept wanting me to see his paintings. I had one of his paintings, you know, from when my mother died, you know, over a decade ago now, you know, I had one in my hand, and I, 
I just told my my uh, friend, the lawyer who was handling the estate, I said, "Here, you just sell it. I I I, I want it." So we didn't. We don't have it. Maybe somebody has it. But you look at the, that. You look at you know this the whole thing of my grandfather. Was, he was his goal in life was to be a painter. And then something happened, and he wanted to be, you know, go to the top. But isn't it funny how being a painter and going to the top wound him up in the same Bohemian Grove? Now, his name is not on the roster. William is, is the founder. And, and, and you look it up in Wiki. Um, but that's just the way he was. He didn't want his name associated with anything, like when he was on the board of directors of Hilton Hotels and when Hilton finally got permission to go into Vegas, right? That would have been a big deal to the stock. So he recused himself because he didn't want that on his reputation. I know, it's so twisted. I know, it's, it's, it's... And he requested that I change my name because I have completely damaged the family name forever and ever and ever, whatever I did. By the time I was 18, I was worse than... You know, Charles Manson, you know, <laughs> and so changed it. So I did, you know, I accommodated him eventually. And uh, I've, uh, the funny thing is, in the name that, uh, that, that I thought I was picking at random, the last name Daniel is in my line. <laughs> it's in my line. <laughs> so there's no escape. You see what I mean? There is no escape. You cannot escape. So where are we now? Well, where we are now is a very sad point in my own family's history because it's the end of the line, a line that went back way, way back to, you know, you can imagine, you know, this, you know the, the 1200s, the 1300s, the 100-year you know, war in Europe, the, uh, you know, all the history. And to finally come down to this breaking point of the sole survivor, me, at this breaking point of the entire thing, of all of it, this untying, this, this unchaining, this breaking of the circle, this complete destruction of the entire, uh, of all the history. But, in, but with what benefit? Well, with the benefit of freeing souls to go to God. You see? We don't really talk about this too much, and even among Christians, you know, because it's just a real dicey subject, but it's so, but for the people that it applies to, it's very interesting news that you mean you could, by being, you know, the Lord's rather than the world's. You could, you could turn that curse off in the line. You'd, well, there's no time backwards and forwards, you know that. No such thing as time. So yes, that is possible. But I thought we had Jesus for that and all, everybody is redeemed. We've got Jesus. We don't need you to do anything. Well, I didn't do anything. God made me the way he made me, so this, and this, so this outcome would be. By going against me, you're blaspheming the Lord then. Not my, not my plan, I can tell you that with one billion percent surety.
Not my plan at all. My plan was to figure out how to fit in and find something to do. I probably would have been a truck driver. I, who knows? I like the road. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I would have done nothing. I'm just a bum. I don't really know. But whatever it is, I didn't get to do it. Or figure it out. This is what I had to do. And uh, it's just a really, a really somber thing when you think about it. When you think about the, the generational curses. People talk about it all the time in evangelical churches and break the line of the curse. And that, though, To them, everybody's got a curse line. By that, I mean bloodline. Um, the sins of the fathers is visited upon the children. I think that's clear enough as God's word. And, you know, but it's a literal thing. And uh, if, if it isn't, you know, let's just put it this way. According to the Lord, you know, these people, let's say they live and die doing whatever they're doing, swashbuckling, you know, greedily you know, gathering, you know, stealing money from people, killing people, whatever it is they're doing. You know, they die. And, you know, uh, they didn't say no to the Lord. They just maybe didn't occur to them. <laughs> Whatever. But uh, it's a mystery as to who would be eligible to be your redeemed. It's not even really the point. The point is that in the end, the efficacy of the blood of Jesus redeems all. But we can't say that everybody is saved. We can't say that. So we have this strange little paradoxical, paradoxical dichotomy. You know, this kind of this kind of you know, duopoly of of, of uh, philosophy in a sense, where we have this kind of dual nature of you know um, because we can't have. Listen, let's say you go into the timeless time. You go. Well, where are the damned? I want to observe them. <laughs> well, they're, they're not around. Why not? Uh, th- that chapter's over. Everything that, was, that went to dust went to the Lord. What? They need to be suffering in hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Well, you know, sorry, but, you know, at the end of the, of the end, if God was... Eddie he was weak and not all powerful that he wouldn't be, if he's going to redeem, he redeems everything or he redeems nothing. I mean, I'm sorry. You just don't get it. The Lord is not three-dimensional. Sorry. You are three-dimensional and you never grew out of that. That's your problem. You should listen to Zaf. <laughs> That's on you, buddy. Just like this research, I... I'm doing, I'm just fascinated with this character. I mean, I'm thinking maybe I should, I should write this up, but uh, it's scary looking through and finding all these little nuggets of, you know, like the Sierra Club. Did you know that, you know, uh, this guy, this painter, this guy that, that uh, founded Bohemian Grove, founded the Sierra Club. Did you know that? You probably didn't know that. 
And that's connected to me. Isn't that something? Isn't that weird? No, it's not, you know, the ultimate royalty, you know, to the Egyptian Ramses, the whatever, to the, the great, you know, king of, of the Charlemagne kings, the Merovingians. It's not anything as grandiose as that. But it's pretty interesting, isn't it? You know, so, right? <laughs> so when Alex Jones snuck in there and, you know, I always, may I confess something, Trish is not going to like this, but I'd, uh, I, I wondered how he got in there. You know, sorry, I, I, I just, you know, I know these people. I grew up with these people. I, we went, I went to, uh, you know, they were, um, I grew up with all of them. There was clamoring around and, uh, all the kids of these families. Of you know you know and, and, and lesser elites than than and and, and you know and, and equal and even greater than maybe what you'd find at Bohemian Club. Well, then I remember we stayed at that time the Clift Hotel. We stayed at the Clift Hotel. My grandfather put us. We went to uh, to the racetrack, and uh, we we you know had some fun with the races. We had lunch at Bohemian Club. It was all very normal. I remember my brother and I used to get these, you know, room service. We were fascinated by that. You know what I mean? They brought this whole snack tray of what they called nibblers. I even remember the name of it. And I remember we were getting in food fights and doing all kinds of naughty stuff with it. And finally my grandmother took the uh, the whole tray and she put it down the toilet. And we just thought that was so funny. We just... We were laughing for days about that. <laughs> I can't just put it in the toilet. You know, she was uh, quite a uh, feisty woman, you might say. And uh, she came up through uh, the brothels of um, San Francisco with gambling. In those days of the shanty Irish is what she was. But she also was connected to, you know, more, you know, more or less wealth because... She came from the McGuire line, and that uh, we have her. Is that her mother in there? The the Italian painting by then and a famous Italian painter, not now, but uh, of her mother, I believe, or possibly. Well, it wouldn't be her grandmother because she was. Uh, it could have been. It, it was her grandmother. So maybe there was, you know, there was. And she had a piano scroll in her hand and some jewelry. And she was, uh, you know, she was who she was. And it looked like it must have been in San Francisco in the 1800s. Um, and uh, let's see. Well, it may not have been her grandmother. It just depends what in the 1800s because... She was born around 1900, as was my grandfather, born around 1900. So you figure William Keith had his thing going in, in uh, the mid-1800s. He had his son Charles, who would have been, in the year 1900, he would have been 35 years old. Charles, who was, you know, who was, was heaped on with pressure by naming him after a famous and engraver than naming him after 
um, uh, the other artist named Charles, I forget his name, but you know he had he was named after two famous people, and then I understand he ended up committing suicide. But I stand to be corrected because there could be another Charles. You know what I mean, and and so I could be off on that, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I went through it with my uh, my attorney friend. He's my friend and attorney. My friend first, and and attorney. And I think he liked the way I was so thorough at research because attorneys have to be very like detailed. You know, I'm like that. I'm just I'm naturally like that. I just pick up little details, and I just wouldn't let it go. And I went over and over with him. Kept him on the phone for about two hours because I just, you know, I just wanted his mind to be, you know, do you think it's, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? He was blown away by the things I was, you know, and I would have, I would call it up on, you know, on my computer. Now my computer completely blew up. Isn't that interesting? So I can't, well, I will continue. I've, I have computers. I've got this phone. But... um and then he would look at it. So we both look at it together and, and verify the information. Because sometimes the mind can play tricks on you where you see something, you read it, but you don't quite get it right. You know what I mean? I'm not, it's not, not talking about an old age thing. What I'm talking about is just how facts can, you know, depending on your biases, can, can be fitted into those biases pretty easily. I've, you know, for example, one, they're talking about, uh, you know, you're, you're, the banks are closed. You, you won't get your money. They're going to take the money. And then you get the idea that, well, the banks are not insured. Then you look up and you, you see that the FDIC arrangement is for $250,000 per account. And you know what I mean? But you could easily go off with this idea it's not insured. Or, you know, that was something I went through already, you know, the last couple of days. And, um, you know, whether it, whether it is, whether it isn't, um, there's a lot of talk about banks closing and um, the dollar, you know, being worthless, and then people doing a run on the bank is happening and bail-in uh, procedures where banks just take money out of your account uh, to keep it there, and they don't have to tell you how much they're taking or for what purpose. So people are pissed, and all of this you, know, you got to be very careful in looking at because you know at the end of the day, people have the right to litigate as well. And, uh, you know, but uh, they're, they're getting geared up to steal for the people. They're already talking about pension funds in American pension funds in China being taken right now. And that's an epoch times, and they're very conservative. So, uh, you know, I would, I would, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I do. Crypto is making a comeback at least to around 30,000 or so per coin, which is, Still only half of where it got to. You know what I mean? So that's not much of a move. And it's just that the short sellers are, you know, because it's now a commodity, you know, you can short sell it now. So the shorts are in there, you know, the hedge funds are uh, selling it short at 30. They're keeping it pinned at 30. And they've done the same thing with gold. They've kept gold hundreds of thousands of dollars in town probably for where it should be. For years and years and years, they have an ironclad grip on it. You don't have a chance. You got to understand the forces you're dealing with. These people, I mean, I'm just looking at this one guy, the damage he's done, you know, just just to uh, society. I mean, I think the biggest blight on, you know, in those days, in the mid-1800s still, 
You're talking about a very young country, right? Not even 100 years old. You're talking about like something like L.A. not even being formed. That, that really, L.A. really got going with Hollywood. At probably around 1930 is when it started really going. That's the Depression, folks. So in the Depression, <laughs> most of the fortunes were made. The Depression for the, your, the people that you trust with your money, the Depression for them is a, is, is a, a boon. It's a, uh, you know, it's a bonanza. And the Depression for average people is out of work and in the, in the soup line. And that's just that way. It's that way today. It's even more that way. More billionaires were made during the pandemic than any other time in history. And what do you think of that? You know, so the whole thing is corrupt. It's, I just call the USA completely gone. I mean, I, I don't even consider the USA a country anymore. I consider it just to be a joke. A, a joke really on the greedy. You know, the greedy, what's really ruined this country is greed. At, at the end of the day, you've just got to say it. It's the love of money. It's the love of money, folks. That's what's made them do it. That's even like Ukraine. Follow the money and you'll figure Ukraine out in a minute. Ukraine is all a big boondoggle for the, for the, you know, for the, you know, the, the sort of totalitarian left who are really, you know, no different than the billionaires on the other side who are, once you get to that status money wise, you're not really a Republican or a Democrat. You're, you know, mainly, you know, money is your God. That's your party. And the only way they can get money is to bankrupt countries and to, you know, to do what, uh, you know, the Bush family's done and various families, the robber barons, they've gone in, they've, you know, killed 500,000 children to which Madeleine Albright, you might think she's a lefty, but she is aligned with the Bushes. She goes, that's a small price to pay. Yeah, for the loot they got. I remember they found one, a big money, big money, they, they, they have money, you know, the, this I know from, the, from a drug dealer friend. Not really a friend, but just someone I knew. But he would say these these the dollars were in pallets, like a big cube, and they were like all you know, sort of taped together. It's this big money cube, it's tall, you know, six feet high. And they found those in Iraq. You know, who got that money? Who got that money cube? Right? Just like was that Saddam Hussein's escape money? No, it was just. Happened to be on an airplane they shot down. You know? <laughs> oh, man, it's so bad. And then what I know about the drug dealers in Colombia and, uh, you know, the South American drug dealers and how the NSA dealt with them, the NSA basically killed them all using Marine Corps gunnies, you know, the uh, gunnery sergeants are the best snipers, usually. So guys like that, you know, and... uh they would have to kill the, you know, the children, which is, that's the one thing they had to overcome. So they used mind control, MK Ultra type techniques. I'd say, you know, you don't have to say MK Ultra, you just say mind control techniques of trauma-based mind control to get a person to the point of, you know, killing a kid. You know, to get, to overcome that, uh, that obstacle. The conscience. The cremation of care. Isn't it funny how it all has to go together? If you really want to be a, be a big billionaire or now even trillionaire, you cannot have a conscience. 
because there's no way you can make that kind of money while your fellow American or your fellow, you know, you know, your fellow Cuban is starving to death. You just you just couldn't do it with a clear conscience. You couldn't do it with a clear conscience. Right? You just got to ask God to help you. You know, because, I mean, all the money is for us to make sure, you know, wheels turn and things happen. And, you know, it should be a benefit for people if you have a, a business or something where you employ people and they put food on the table for their kids and, you know, and life goes on. You know, I mean, that's as far as it should really go. It shouldn't go into, like, this exotic, you know, weird, perverted love for all kinds of weird, bizarre, you know, things because society will always go, at the end of the day, they'll always, they're always going to show their true colors, which is they're fucking perverts, right? What perverted them? Love of money. Power. Love of power is the same as love of money. It's, money is power. Right? And so that eventually leads to, you know, tastes for sin. Tastes for, you know, how delectable sin is. You know, the idea of, you know, being able to sin free of charge. To be able to have any sin you want, whenever you want, when you want. There were guys out there bragging that, that Andrew Tate guy was bragging about that, and it was not sin, but bragging about how he could have anything he wants, what he wants. That McGregor guy, you know, the, the UFC, he was out there bragging the same way. You know, and I'm like, you guys need to shut up. And show a little bit of humility because otherwise you get slapped down. You know, you're not going to be in that position forever. You know, and the thing is, is what did you do with all your wealth? Well, I bought 27 cars. Well, that's good. There's, I guess, some people that got to be employed while, you know, had to make the cars. But if you don't have 27 cars and you don't have a bevy of bitches like I do... You're a loser. You're not getting as much out of life, you know, and if you have that message, and then that's what, you know, kind of like what happened to the Tate uh, brothers. They just kind of got upended, and now they're trying to make a comeback, and I don't, you know, I, 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 I moved on. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in Tate and whatever happens. I just, I just saw that, you know, I was there for a short period of time, and God put me on it, and you know, maybe now they'll they'll you know get some wisdom and see the light and realize what's important. And twenty seven, you know, whatever cars and all things like that are not what's important in life. My God, no! You think after you know ten cars, you'd learn that lesson. You know, I mean, you know, if, if you're if you're using the car as a status symbol, I mean, that which is what they were doing, and 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 people and women and whatnot. Then the latest thing, I mean, that's coming on, and people say, well, he's still out there. Well, you know, well, God bless him. Let's hope he, you know, learns and, you know, he becomes, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, who knows what, what he'll become. I, I don't know anything about it. All I know is I was brought in to, uh, to comment, I did, and then I moved on. It's, I did the same thing about Marina Bravamich and, and Bill Gates. When uh, the day that Bill Gates was presenting a Bravamich to the world, I was brought in to, to shut her down. And so far that I can see, she's still shut down. 
Oh, she's operating in those circles. But I mean, she's not the world's, you know, you know, the new Oprah or something. <laughs> you know, she's shut down. As far as Oprah and all that, um, it's not on my radar. So I don't, you know, it's what's on my radar right now is, you know, the United States and through a microcosm of the evil of like this Bohemian Club because the, the Bohemian Club is so important because you're talking about the 2,700 of the top people, of the top men, and it's a men's club. And now you don't hear a peep out of woke, do you? Not a peep. Huh? You know, it's another interesting thing that's always bothered me. Now, I have a lot to write about. If I could write about all this stuff, I could preserve it for humanity, you know? Because some of this is so interesting. You'd be turning the pages going, oh, my God, what's next? You know? But check this out. You, some of you might have, you know, come across the, the tale of the Black Dahlia, right? And she was, uh, I forget the year that, uh, but she was, uh, she was pregnant when she was killed. Did you know that? It was a famous guy that impregnated her. I'm really, you know, I'm having to go off memory here, but she, she was pregnant when she was killed. And, um, you know, I was, you know, I knew the rumors of the Black Dahlia. And, of course, we've seen the, you know, many films have been kind of dedicated to the Black Dahlia, like, our Black Dahlia-like, without being exactly. Uh, she was a, um, uh, her name was Elizabeth Short. And... Uh, she was she was killed. She what killed her was a uh, a blood force trauma to the head, and um, you know, obviously, the, you know, cutting her in half was probably <laughs> you know just for shock. But also remember, um, you, you know, uh, the the date was it was nineteen forty seven. She was, like so many women, you know, come to Hollywood at 22 years old, right? So many we we see it. We're casting something. We see, you know, they all come in and they're all there. They're, you know, working waitress jobs. She was a, a waitress. And this is 1947 now. She's a waitress. And she's a Hollywood hopeful. And what happens to beautiful women when they come to Hollywood and they're a waitress and a Hollywood hopeful. They go to auditions, correct? And they get funneled into parties and things and introductions because men have a great appetite for the, you know, people have a great appetite, I should say. There's a great appetite for these women. So, um, uh, You, you know, the big thing about her was that she was, uh, uh, you know, she was cut in half, as I said. And I'm not sure, you know, the, I, I know that the, the, you know, that she was pregnant, but I'm not sure what exactly, you know, there's there's a lacking of detail on some of that. But uh, all that aside, okay, and I mean, if you know the case, you know, you've seen 
Lomi's on it or whatnot, you know, if you may know the case. But here's the weird thing. No, no, this is, no, you, you can't make this up. Are you ready? She was buried at the Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland, California. The Mountain View Cemetery is a very prestigious cemetery. The top people in the world are buried there. That's where William Keith, founder of Bohemian Club, was buried. At the Mountain View Cemetery. That's where the top names and, you know, especially in California and banking and just all kinds of things, that's where they're buried, at the Mountain View Cemetery. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure really, I mean, I'm, I guess you get a wiki on it and, 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 you know, look that up and wonder why that would be, but don't you see how it's the fact that she was buried there and that somebody paid for it, obviously. But why did they want her there? Why not Los Angeles? And she wasn't from uh, San Francisco. She wasn't from Oakland. She wasn't from Berkeley. She wasn't from any of those places. She wasn't from anywhere here. She was from, I don't know, the Midwest or something. So why would she be buried there among that level of people, those Bohemian Club people. And just found, see what I mean? It was, I was just looking at it in a cursory way. I mean, not wanting to get into it. I don't intend probably to do a story about it. I mean, we've had many stories and books and all kinds of stuff regarding the Black Dahlia, mainly because people were just fascinated that she was cut in half. I think that's so gruesome, they, they couldn't get their minds off of it. And, you, you know, so, you know, and uh, as they investigate the Black Dahlia, as they get closer to solving the mystery, what happens? People start dying. People start getting murdered. Uh, stuff starts happening. And then I guess the ultimate point on the whole story is being buried at the Mountain View Cemetery. And I would invite you, if you're sitting with your computer, to go take a look at the uh, Mountain View Cemetery. Uh, and take a look at the, uh, I don't think I need to even add Oakland. There we go. No, that's not it. I'm so, you know, I guess you do have to, uh, oh, they're, they're, okay, so say Oakland. Uh, Oakland, California. No, not Piedmont Funeral Home. Okay, it's a 226-acre rural cemetery in Oakland. And it was established in 1863 by a group of East Bay pioneers under the California Rural Cemetery Act. Um, some of the, the first burial that you see listed there is Elizabeth Short. This is a 22-year-old waitress who, I'm, you know, and, and uh, you, know, you know, some of the problems with, well, who else is buried there? Okay, uh, you know, the Ghirardelli chocolate people, the Charles Crocker banking family, um, you know, I mean, all of that. So it's, uh, and then if you go to um, the images of, uh, see if I've got the right place. Yes, 
You go to the main image, they have a wiki, and you take a look at that architecture of some of those mausoleums, you start to get a good good idea of what you do. Here's a pyramid here. Here's a, uh, you know, obelisks all over the place. The The whole way it's arranged is one big circle. One big circle. And, uh... I, I probably next will have to look into the Black Dahlia a little stronger because I, you know, got my own theory about who impregnated her. And, but I do believe that, uh, you know, her death was really, in a sense, a ritual sacrifice. And if the baby was taken out then, you know, obviously, you know, Rosemary's baby all over again. You know, there was a... Uh, you know, did they find her with, you know, uh, I guess I should wait until I look at it a little further, refresh my memory, but I'm wondering what whatever happened to that baby. Uh, you know. Um, you know, whatever happened uh, to that pregnancy... Probably it was just no big deal. Uh, you can get a Black Dahlia murder kid's baby crawler suit in unisex for $13.50. Uh, so the only real source we have is the wiki for the, for the kind of, you know, uh, what I would say would be... Uh, a summary of the whole sordid affair. And, you know, there's 150 suspects, and you know, but it remains... I mean, isn't it curious to you why she would be buried in that cemetery? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. She she came from... Uh, Boston originally, so you know it's it it's just it, it's uh, it just it makes me sick to my stomach thinking about it. You know, uh, and I suppose that's because um, you you know you just understand that uh, you know she was taking care of the funeral was taking care of they was taking care of. We just got to cover this whole thing up. Because somebody very powerful was there. Somebody who probably was a member of the Bohemian Club. Somebody was, right? Because that's where those guys all want to get buried, right? They get buried up there. Or if they're Hollywood, you know. Well, you like Clint Eastwood. He's a member of the Bohemian Club. Well, see, I haven't even said it's evil. I mean, I've just said these are the guys. But when I explained about who the people were that were members... Uh, everyone assumes it's evil. When I explain cremation of care, everyone assumes that that's evil too. That's not just some mock ritual. They go through a lot of, of trouble to, to put that on. You know, that's a very uh, reverent ritual. And... Um, Anyway, anyway, 
this is like like a Hollywood problem. The the black dolly was like a Hollywood issue, and but then it became wider. It became a bigger issue, just like a lot of political problems. Like okay, just take Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy was a California murder, right? The Roosevelt Hotel, which was down in Mid-Wilshire area. And, um, you know, you killed by Sirhan Sirhan. Uh, but Sirhan Sirhan was, was under the control or under the, you know, care of a Louis Jolion West who who doesn't have individual clients at this time. He's in about 1960. Well, I guess he would then, but he came to California to head up to UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute where he had 500 psychiatrists working under him. He certainly didn't need to be the guy, in, you know, for Sirhan Sirhan or Jonathan Hinckley. You remember who was obsessed with Jodie Foster and how these things... And even, you know, going to uh, John Lennon's uh, 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 killer, uh, a guy from, you know, Chapman from Hawaii, was obsessed with uh, also Catcher in the Rye. And, um, you know, had a, uh, you know, obviously some, some you know, reason for, uh, some people think, you know, he was put up to it. But I mean, you can't have the same psychiatrist for every every one of these people, including Timothy McVeigh, who probably had nothing to do with the blowing up of the Borough Building in Oklahoma City, is it? Or is it Bartlesville, or was it Tulsa? Oklahoma? Yeah. Okay, probably had nothing to do with it. But I mean, the idea that, you know, once again, we find West involved. And, you know, it, it's... it's, it's it's all this kind of stuff and all this swirling about. And then when we have these kind of, you know, funerals, we have the John McCain funeral, like, you know, or even the, the Bush funerals as these Babylonian rituals in the White House. You know, the, we are the abomination of desolation, folks. I know, I know that people say, we're winning, we're on the verge of winning, we've got to just kick these people out. We can have a good life, but will we have a good life if we kick these people out? All we have to do is kick these people out. We're going to have a good life. What about how many people took the jab? Didn't they fail the IQ test? You could see from a million miles away that was a fake thing. That was a... Uh, on day one, we were calling it a bioweapon. The, 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 the thing. Trump kept saying he was... He has it at warp speed. We all called him on it way before it ever came out. They had lots and lots and lots of time. I'm sorry if you took the jab, but you had a lot of time to think about it. You had a lot of very good people warning. And if I'm warning, I'm not going to be wrong. And yet you doubted everyone and everything and went with your fear of government to cause you to get the jab thinking that, you know, then you could finally be on a plane and you get beyond all this mess and it'll be okay again. But all that really happened is they're getting ready to go again because we were not strong enough. 
So they had the idea that they could roll us again because we never stood up to them. We never did Nuremberg 2.0. We never did adjudicate. We didn't do anything. We're just sitting here like sitting ducks right now. And we have no protection, none other than Lord God Almighty. That's all the protection we have. Some people say that's all we need. And I'm telling you, not if God is raw with the USA. Then it is not enough protection because God is against you now. God is against your plans. God is against your plans of restoration. He's against your plans of keeping this thing going. This is a sick puppy. This is a, a this is more twisted, more perverse than Satan himself. Cutting the gonads off of the balls off kids and stuff. I mean, what the hell's the matter with you people? Don't you understand where this leads? You in chains. You dead. I'll say it. I said it right here. No, I won't take back one word of it because I will be accurate and you will be wrong and I will be right. That's the way it always is. And that's the way it's going to be. Because I'm not going to die without the satisfaction. I did the research. I did the work. I know I'm right. And I'm going to die right. And you know what? That gives me a little bit of comfort. I'm going to die right. I'm going with Jesus. I ain't looking back. That's the end of it. Let it be finished. Because the people here are unrelenting. They're just selfish pieces of shit, most of them. And they're not going to give an inch. They're going to keep on their delusionary pathway until they do themselves in. It's not enough to do themselves in. They want to take everybody with them. Well, okay, so the remedy is to repent, and that means Jesus. That does not mean, you know, you repent on your own. I, I don't trust you. Your own, on your own volition? No. You're not good enough. I'm not good. No one's good enough for that. You need to repent in Christ and ask Jesus to help you, to take you, so you can struggle against that need to be a despot, that need to be greedy, that need to be selfish, that need to be... You know, the big controller, that need to be God yourself. All those instincts lead us to where we are today. Okay, guys. Notice the FBI didn't get involved in the Black Dahlia until, like, years later. No. <laughs> Notice that William Randolph Hearst was the guy, the lead guy in the story because he had the, uh, the Examiner and the Herald Express. Okay, so... They, they overcame an accurate investigation in the Black Dahlia, which is pivotal because the real mafia, the real power structure of Los Angeles at that time, and that includes my grandfather, it was, you know, Hollywood's coming up, all that it was the most powerful time. It's just post-World War II. 1947, or I'd say, you know, 1945, but my 1947, things are up and running. 
real good. And by the time we get into the 50s, things are just exploding, like with technology, Hollywood, big business, uh, you know, aviation, just about every, you know, uh, you, you know, the, the technology, everything is, is, is really coming along. I'm not also surprised that technology got its big break. Everything about technology swirls around, you know, Stanford University. Actually, my uncle has a, has a thing there. It was, uh, for his sacrifice of World War II, he's got a, some kind of statue, some kind of thing, monument there. <laughs> but that Stanford would be, you know, there's the key. There's that, that Northern California, that, that San Francisco, that uh, San Francisco elite, you know, thing. San, so Palo Alto, uh, Stanford, where, where, where that was, you know, the place to go if you wanted to be in college on the West Coast. You either went to, to Harvard, MIT, or Stanford. But if you went to Stanford, it did kind of clips all of them, right? It's like, because Stanford's a closed system, in a sense. You know, it's it's really been for the, you know, for the gentrified uh, you know, all along. And, of course, the gentrified own big tech. And that is a fact, Jack. Well, there's nothing more about the, the Black Doll I want to go into. I just... I mention it because the idea about being buried at the Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland, it just, I just, I, I can't get my mind around that. I, you know, I, I, and again, I'm not, I'm, I have not researched the topic. There's many authors who read a lot of books, lots of theories about it, but, you know, pretty much a kind of a dead end. Frankly, the unpublished stuff that people did as amateurs on, Kubrick's uh, Shining was, you know, more conclusive than a lot of these Hollywood stories. You know, and then, of course, later on, you had the emulators, right? The Charles Mansons, the cults, the... And where did they get the access to the Hollywood movie ranch? Where did they get the access to all that stuff? It's provided. Well, who provides it? Well, obviously, people that are, you know, millionaires and in the elite status provide the means of which to destabilize society. And, you know, they're intent on destabilizing this one. So I've, I'm, uh, where does God fit into it? God fits into it as he always does. We repent. Some of you may be called to be Abram, you know, like going to God and saying, well, Lord, would you, if there's a righteous remnant here, would you destroy the entire United States? Uh, you, you know, or, 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 and the Lord would probably say, well, it, it's got to be less than a remnant. You know, we talk about a third. We talk about a fifth. How many people are we talking about before it gets destroyed? That reasoning is in the Bible. In the, it is a very cogent, uh, you know, probably one of the only... Uh, you, you know, exchanges between God and Abraham, God and man, where you could actually derive a kind of a, a mathematical construct that would give you the idea of when God would finally allow the place to be nuked. And why would he burn the Sodom with fire? It's because of extreme wickedness. He didn't say because of sodomy. He became famous for sodomy because sodomy was the, the once it gets going, it's 
I, it must be like some addictive fever, some addictive drug. People just get into it, and then suddenly everyone's doing it. So, you know, that was one thing, but that wasn't the reason that was destroyed. You know, that was just a characteristic. The reason it was destroyed is because of black magic and conjuring demons, you know, and putting hexes and spells on other people who probably don't deserve it. And, you know, some of these hexes are so powerful, it takes a person of a fairly normal life and just ruins their life. You know, people get ruined all the time who don't deserve it. You know, why are we in a place like that? That sounds like hell. Well, <laughs> obviously, um, we... Uh, if something doesn't change us, we pretty much deserve it. You know, so I would advocate uh, getting on the side of the Lord, praying without ceasing. You know, when these little things come up, like people, and they act up and they, you know... You know, just like what we're talking about, this William Keith and his being the founder of Bohemian Grove and Bohemian Club and the Sierra Club and a famous painter and called the prophet, the mystic of Berkeley, uh, you know, of Scottish descent, a Scottish immigrant. I find that to be very, very interesting because that touches all the important men of the world are involved. The 27 most important people. It's extraordinary. I bet 2,700, yeah. 15-year waiting list to get in. I don't know. I have, I don't know anyone who would want to get involved in, in a club like that. Do you? Seriously. And the reason is because um, there's really no appetite for it. You know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, do you want to run the world? No, you don't want to run the world. But these 2,700 people do in some ways. And then, like I said, 10% artists, 90% uh, money. Uh, all right, folks. Well, that's what I want to tell you. I'm on my phone today. You don't have the good fidelity. Sorry about that, but I'm glad that this thing kept going. Glad you could hear it. Glad you could join us. I uh, will figure out what to do with the computer, you know, afterwards. Uh, I'm thinking I'm just going to take it down to the place. and the, the, it, I, Yeah, it, it, it's a... Uh, man, I got hit. It's... The screen started turning purple and flashing. Then it all of a sudden it just went to black, black, black. And now it's just like, well, we'll have to see what they do. And I'll see you next time. God bless.